Hi humans, welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. My name is Lauren. And I'm Adam. On this podcast, we want to help start or continue conversations about the beautiful and messy parts of life. Although we both had a conservative upbringing, we've since grown out of a lot of our traditional ways of thinking. We're learning to deconstruct the religious lenses we once saw the world through, breaking down topics like purity culture, racism, and the patriarchy, while demystifying things like feminism, equality, and love. Stepping away from our evangelical church background, all the while leaning into God and moving forward in our faith. We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, onto the episode. When I first started singing, like, I mean, when my parents realized that I was like kind of serious about it, and I was like 10 or 11, they got me a karaoke machine, um, mm-hmm. and it was in my basement, and then... I started writing songs. It's it's how I learned to write songs was I would write new lyrics for the karaoke songs. Ah, uh, nice. Yeah. So I would write my own. <laughs> I truly wrote my own songs. Of course, with I, I when I was 10, I wrote it with the same melody and everything like that. Um, anyway, it's funny to think about that. Cause that's then, a, I mean, what a, what a great exercise. I mean, every other art form. Right? Like if you want to learn painting, typically you learn how to paint other people's paintings. Yeah. I mean, you just watch Bob you... Ross videos and then you just can do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I love that he's had a resurgence. I feel like Bob I Ross know. is like everywhere in pop culture still, which is incredible. <laughs> I know. I love it. Yeah, that's true, though. And it's something actually I'm learning because as somebody who has never been good at like good quote unquote at like drawing painting that all that kind of stuff it was last year when I realized I was like you know what I'm just gonna kind of copy what other people are doing because I love it and it feels empowering and it's pretty so I'm just gonna kind of copy and I was like wait I've been doing this my whole life like I, I basically copy right like we all have our own fingerprint on art too so it's like we're right. every thing that we make is already a copy of course the more you do it the more you can like when I I, I don't write songs the way that I did when I was 10, where I write the exact same melody. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, we grow, but it's definitely a good way to start whatever like artistic expression or even like business, I guess you just kind of like copy what somebody else kind of did. And then as you grow, you find your own fingerprint. Yeah. There was this, uh, kind of funny thing. I think it was maybe Skrillex and he was talking about, you know, how he's like, let me show you how I produce. He's like, first I find a sample. And then he he was talking about, basically he said, but then I realized like, I should just make my own drum beat. So I, I made my own drum beat. And he's like, yeah, but I should really play it on a real drum. So I played it on a real drum. He's like, yeah, but I should make my own drum. <laughs> and then and it keeps going down. And he's like, oh, but I didn't grow the tree myself. you know. And so basically right. the point he gets more and more absurd with it. But the point that he's trying to make is everything is extracted from something. Yeah. And instead of beating ourselves up over where we extracted what from, it's really what you do with it, right? Everything is tools. True. Just Mm. what are you doing with those tools and how are you, you know, doing something that's uniquely you with the tools that you have. Right. I think, I think even outside of the obligation of growth too, 
I think it's just super cool to be able to do something just to know that you have the capability of creating mm-hmm. something beautiful. Like whether or not it's whether or not it's an identical copy of somebody else's thing, like to know that the thing that I don't know, for some people they come at that same idea with a little bit of spite where they're like, "Oh, I could do that." Like that's right. no problem. But to be able to come at it from a place where like you just create it because it feels good to create and it just like is good and copying is not a negative thing. I think it, it shifts the lens so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately it's art for art's sake. Right. And it's like every, (laughs) (laughs) yes, that who is this art and why are we doing things? (laughs) I mean, for sure. Anyway, sorry. That was, that was kind of a different rant, but I love that. That's great. I love that. Well, cool. So that's what you've been up to today. Love, love. Do you find that that's yes. like kind of taking over your mental space right now? Like in a good way. Like, do you feel like uh, that's kind of all you're doing? It's shiny and new, right? right so yeah. obviously there's there's a sense of, yes, I'm definitely spending more energy. Although today was the most time that I spent on it because I still do have some other responsibilities, uh, people who need my attention from a work standpoint, thankfully. So I... Yeah. That's you know, good. I did that for a few hours this morning and then kind of once the the thing with me is uh, with my ADD, it's either I'm all in or I'm all out. So it's either yeah. hyper focus and I forget to eat for six hours or I can't get anything started. And yeah. the, there doesn't seem to be a middle ground most of the time. <laughs> yep. Uh, that is me. I definitely feel you on that. I do have you to thank, though. I mean, I feel like I have I have had a lot of. Um, I actually wrote it down. I, I just wrote it like a, like a few minutes ago. Honestly, I wrote down um, by owning up to things, I am better equipped to let them go. Ooh, I love that. Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, I love little like one sentence things like that. But that's like, um, I think I saw somebody post like, what's something you've learned lately? And I so then I just followed suit and I was like, you know what? What have I learned? And I feel like our conversation and conversations that we have about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness um, <laughs> has kind of like led me to that, especially in the past like couple of weeks. You know, we've been talking about our creative endeavors and the purpose of our, you know, lives and our like joy and creative endeavors, things like that. Um, and yeah, I've just had a lot of owning up to things and owning up to what has happened in my life, my relationships with people, my ego, my identity, my relationship with music, my relationship with family members, whatever. And like, and by owning up to things, I'm, I'm truly, I'm more equipped. I'm more able to let things go and, and things no longer have that like grip on me. And that's, you know, people can talk about that as far as like forgiving someone, right? It's the same kind of concept of like, who is, you know, who is that really hurting if you're upset still or if you're still holding on to things, it's it's really hurting you. And in my case, it's right. like I more so it was like ego things. Like what 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 am I holding on to? What am I gripping at? What am I like clawing at for my ego's sake and what I thought was my ego's sake? And if I could just own up to 
you know, for instance, the music stuff, like, okay, that's great. Like what I did was awesome with Love Clyde. And I put in so much time, so much energy, so many years, so much effort, so much money, all this stuff. And that's like, that's great. But that's also like, not the end all be all for me. And I can start to dream bigger and beyond, not say that that was the biggest and best thing I've ever done. Um, Right. I I think it kind of comes down to choosing to allow yourself space to be shaped by your past, but mm-hmm. not necessarily defined by it. And those are different things. Right. Mm. Right? Like I'm so not like an you- ex-Christian artist. I did Christian music at one point and that was my thing. Like not letting- Right. And it's a part of your story and it's real and it matters, but it also doesn't have to continue to be, your identity is beyond um, the things that you've accomplished. And sometimes when we've accomplished things, that come with any sort of notoriety or acceptance, um, we can anchor pieces of our ego in that. And it gets really hard to separate, you know, the sort of threefold cord is not easily broken to use a mm. old mm-hmm. spiritual term. Wow. But, yeah. you know, th- <laughs> that that idea is um, we braid our, our identity with these other things, right? So whether it's notoriety, creativity, um, affirmation, whatever the thing is, we start to to create in our brain is the same thing with synapses, right? So the cord starts to get braided and all of a sudden one of them is your actual identity and the other two are things that may or may not be Mm. actually who you are. And so unraveling that or deconstructing it uh, (laughs) is hard. It's hard. It's hard to separate what you've been through with who you are becoming. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and it, leaves you a little bit weak and vulnerable, right? Because you've mm-hmm. stripped away a lot of your the strength, strength. of the braid. For sure. <laughs> and yeah, identity, well, you know? And and then finding the new threads to sort of bond yourself with healthier threads, threads that are based in love and empathy and curiosity and all of those things that, you know, make us healthier versions of ourselves. Ah yes. Which leads us to Basically that, you know, because all of this can be said about career or creativity or whatever. But then we have spirituality and this can also be this, this whole, our whole conversation up to this point, all the things that we're saying about whether it's music or whether it's some other creative thing or it's my faith, you know, it's, that is also something that we can be so closely uh, braided with, <laughs> identified, yeah. connected with. to, and rooted into. Even right, like those are those are things that they define who you are currently. Like no matter how much it's been in the past, no much, no matter how much it's going to be in the future. Like whoever you currently are is defined by those things that you surround yourself with. Almost absolutely. I mean, the core desire for people is to be seen, heard, and understood. Right, and so it's really easy to um, connect yourself with ideology because that gives you a certain level of connectedness and it brings often a certain level of um, identity or belonging or any of those other words that you want to kind of associate with it. And so, but we often get uh, deeper, we have a more deep connection with the feelings that we're getting Mm. out of being in religious 
and spiritual environments yeah. more than the actual faith itself, right? So hmm. the practices are bringing identity, right? If you're uh, super involved with church, which most of us have been at some point, um, it really is less about the spiritual side of it often and more about uh, the community or, again, the sense of appreciation that you might get or that you belong to something. I'm not necessarily saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying like it's sometimes we sink our teeth into the overflow as opposed to the actual thing, you know, the effects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. And it's, it's almost like that's the stuff that I, the, the overflow stuff is this Mm -hmm. actually part of those things are the things that I kind of missed when I, and I've said this before in other episodes, but when I was deconstructing, I kind of had this mentality of like, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. I kind of was like throwing out right. all the things. And then I was like, I kind of miss um, structured, like like a, a church service. You know, like I miss having Liturgy a and- community that's like, we all have some sort of common ground in faith of some sort. Um, and yeah. like talking about that and like the structure of, yeah, I don't know, that kind of thing. And I was like, I think that's like the overflow the stuff that I missed was like going out to eat after church, right? Like I didn't yeah. necessarily miss as much of the the liturgy or the, you know, um, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day and I say this all the time, right? Like spirituality is weird. Christianity is really goofy, right? Like, and, and, some, and I think part of the thing that I was frustrated by was the lack of self-awareness, like, right? Like we get together in a building that's usually some converted something or other, Right. <laughs> um, and, and we, and we listen to a Jesus-y Ted talk and we do Christian karaoke and there's snack time at the end, <laughs> uh, and you pay a cover charge. Right. And it's like all these weird things like, that's a, and it's no- that's a funny way to put it. I've never thought about it like that. <laughs> right. Like you pay your tithe, you get the little communion. Yeah. It's all like, and so it, and it's goofy. The whole thing is goofy, <laughs> but meaningful to people where they are in their journey. And so mm-hmm. I'm not disrespecting it. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying like, I needed to be with people who got, who were quote unquote in on the joke. Like, right. The Bible even says like, this whole thing is foolishness to those who don't believe. And I feel like so many churches that I was in during my like heavily sort of evangelical season, they weren't in on the joke. There was no Mm self-awareness. There was no sense of like, instead it was this like, well, we have it all figured out and we are correct. And Mm -hmm. if you don't get on board, you're, you're missing out and there's shame involved, right? Like, yeah, I love that. that. That's so sorry. Go ahead. You can keep going. I just love that. I love the idea that like, I wanted to be around people who were in on the joke like that. I, I love that coin that (laughs) it's so good. Okay. (laughs) Keep going. And, and I think that's why when you, when we have conversations, the three of us, it's like, and people who have gone through some level of deconstructing or are in that process. I think that, uh, there's a almost like a sense of intimacy there because we are, mm. it's like an inside joke of like, yeah, we yeah. get that this thing is a little goofy, yeah. but Jesus isn't goofy, right? Like right. faith itself isn't. Mm-hmm. It's just all this other stuff that we add on to it is kind of weird. Yeah. Um, and it works for people in different seasons. And so like, I will never discount somebody's like journey of faith. I, I say it like this, basically, um, when I was two, my mom was a single mom. She did 
everything for me, right? I had no say in the matter. What I wore, what I ate, um, I was completely dependent. And then when I was four, she involved me in the conversation a little bit, sort of, um, right? And then by high school, and I had a license, and now there's a little bit more freedom. And now my relationship with my parents is completely different than it was 30 years ago, right? It's a completely right. different situation. And I think my relationship with the divine is similar. Early on in my faith, I needed lots of structure and lots of rules and lots of boundaries. And now for me, I feel like it's more like I call my parents on the phone. We talk about life. We catch up. Maybe I get their advice on some things, but we're, we, we interact with each other in a different way. The conversations are, are different. There's a different kind of respect. And I feel like for me, my relationship with the divine is similar in that sense of I don't necessarily need all of the format, um, right? It's like I have those principles. I have that in me. So now I can just enjoy the relationship for what it is, which is that. It's a relationship. To me, that's when the whole thing starts to like come back to life of, mm. oh, my parents haven't necessarily. They're still Sherry and Glenn, but <laughs> I, I have grown and the way that I interact with them has grown. Um, and I think the way that I interact with the divine has, has grown and shifted and evolved and hopefully will for the rest of my life. Right. Um, yeah. So do you feel like when you look back at your relationship with your parents too, like, do you feel like you can retrospectively look at it and glean different things from the interactions? Because I feel like that's how it is for me. Like when I'm looking back at the relationship that I had with my dad or with my mom and the conversations that we had, being able to like be in that structure and be in that space where I was able to like ask questions because my ignorance was assumed freed right. me up so much. And I feel like I'm still getting payoff from the conversations that I was able to have in that place of, of ignorance and, and not servitude, but like being a child to parents. One of the things that I loved about my mom early on, I was always a curious kid. It's a huge part of, of who I am, which is why it comes out in so many of the conversations I have. Um, I, I'm a nine on the Enneagram, but there's still a bit of a researcher in me. When I get into something, I get way into it. Yes. And so where, even this as This is where we collide. As, yeah. As I'm like, I know um, that about you. And we've, and we've talked about this, right? Like the amount of time I, I have spent more time sometimes reading about a show that I'm interested in than actually watching the show. Yes. Right. Like, I relate. Wikipedia articles <laughs> and uh, interviews with the director. If I get into something, it's, you know, I go all in. Yep. Um, and so at an early age, my mom gave me permission to ask questions. She didn't really treat me like, oh, you're just a little kid. Stop interrupting the adults. Um, obviously, there's a time and a place to to sort of have proper interaction with adults. But as often as possible, she would try to give me space to be in certain conversations, sure. uh, which gave me the ability to expand my vocabulary at a very young age, but also just to to ask questions and to get life information. And so Adam, to your point, I think I can still look back on some of those early experiences. I was very aware of people's pain at a very young age for better or worse. Yeah. Um, and some of that comes because grief is a huge part of my story. And I, I've experienced uh, a lot of uh, death throughout my life of close people, both yeah. my age and older. 
Um, and so there's kind of this history linked with that. But one of the things that grief does is if you allow it, it, it creates a sense of empathy, right? Because it's like grief is a club that nobody wants to be in. But if you're in, you're glad somebody else is there. Yeah. Right. So like, yeah. you know, if, if I see on online that somebody's parent has passed away, I have this weird, unique thing where I can go, hey, I get it. I've been there. And if you want to talk about it, I know that particular pain and I'm here for you. And I yeah. think sometimes that's like this, when you, when you haven't experienced, you want to be empathetic, but the most you can offer is sympathy. And that doesn't translate as well because sympathy usually is trying to fix, right? It's trying to offer a solution. It's trying mm. to create resolution. And if you've lived through it and you have that empathetic understanding you realize that it's not always about the resolve, right? Yeah. It's just about somebody saying, I see you, I'm with you, I love you. It's, it sucks right now. And it might be better tomorrow and it might not, but I'm here for you. Yeah. And I think spiritually, just to circle back, right? I think the difference between maybe that some of the faith traditions that we grew up in versus where we are now is that, right? It's the difference between... Um, equations on a chalkboard and art on a canvas, right? Like yeah. if I look at a chalkboard and I go one plus two equals three, that's sort of traditional liturgical faith in a lot of ways. But I think the faith that we are exploring and asking questions about is more like it's paint on a canvas. And I can look at that paint 10 different times and see something new. And it's like, there, it's, there's no, um, it's not paint by numbers, right? It's free and it's open mm -hmm. and there, it's, it's, wild right it's not linear it's so interesting that you start to see those crossovers from life and faith and creativity like because i feel like when you establish that kind of empathy and that kind of experience of life it it out of obligation almost bleeds over into your creativity and i think people can sense that when you're when you're creating out of out of an empathetic place in a real place. And when you're connecting with somebody spiritually out of an empathetic place where you've, you've been through, I mean, for us, it's one of the most amazing things when we're able to have conversation with people who have been through or currently are in a phase of deconstruction, because it's like up from the outside, it can, it can seem so almost like almost like uh, an angsty teenager right where like there's so much change and it just looks like you're pushing everything away and it looks like you're mad at the world but to be able to come alongside someone that understands what's like actually happening on the inside and the things that you're still grasping for it's mm -hmm. it, you're able to experience somebody else realizing that you're not pushing things away generally it's things slipping through your fingers and I feel like that has to also come across in your creativity too. Yeah. So there's this um, principle that I learned in, in group therapy, yay therapy. Um, <laughs> yep. and, and one of the exercises that we were doing, and, and it, it's a parallel with the deconstruction process, right? Sometimes part of what deconstructing is, is first identifying kind of what is, what is zero, right? Like what is the baseline you? Right. And then as we go through life, we pick up all of these other things, which goes back to the very beginning of this conversation. We braid ourselves with all these other things, right, to sort of flesh out an identity in our search for meaning and belonging. We we pick up all this stuff and some of it's good and some of it's total garbage. 
right? And so a huge part of deconstructing, I think, is asking those questions. And one of the things that we did in group was to go, hey, go back to a time when you felt the most like you, when you felt like you Mm. were firing on all, you know, four cylinders and like you really felt like you were empowered and being kind of the best version of yourself. Yeah. Identify who that person is. Now look at who are you right now, Mm. right? And then like compare and contrast. So like if that person is free and open and vulnerable and a leader and the person that you're kind of allowing yourself to be right now is timid and shy and wounded and hurt, well, now you have somewhere to go, right? Like now you have this baseline to go, at my core, I'm free and I'm open and I'm vulnerable. That's who I am. And right now I'm not being that person, but those are just things that I'm doing and that I'm working on. I'm on the process of deconstructing and removing and getting rid of all of that stuff to get back to zero. So then I can grow and move forward. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that whole, like, that was one of those exercises. It was like, Oh, it, it was this huge moment for me to realize I have allowed myself to become a, like an upside down version of myself and I don't like it. Yeah. Um, but I didn't even have that awareness until somebody kind of held up a mirror and was like, Hey, like, this is how I experience you. Or like, is it possible that you're not being, you know, and so that identity thing is just so important because I feel like you can't connect with the divine as well if you're still trying to figure out who you even are. And I think people are like, well, just go to God. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, yes, and also sometimes it's fine to do work to get back to zero so that you can... And I'm not saying like you have to be perfect to connect with the divine at all. No, I mean, but I mean, I feel like it's about connecting to the divine within if I. Right. Dare. Yes, that's it. <laughs> no, I mean, we, we, the, if you want to get spiritual with it, the Imago Dei, the image of God that we all carry, right? We can take, God is in us, right? We, we are God to the world, um, mm-hmm. however you want to phrase it. Yeah. So like getting rid of all that stuff that isn't God to get back to who we are designed to be and who we were created at our core. Mm -hmm. Like that to me is like, it's work and it's hard and it sucks. And it's like, but so worth it. Right. Like, yeah. So for you, whenever you were, you know, going through the group therapy and like, you know, I, I I guess I have a couple of thoughts. Like the one thing is like the linear, like, what Adam kind of brought up it like it's not linear and like it is like we each have our own experience of you know kindergarten middle school high school college and beyond of like you know our religious faith our spiritual life our creativity the way we see the world but like we're not all in we don't all fall in the same like the way we see it is not not all the same and so like I did kind of want to like mention that because there's just I personally work I try really hard to not say or think in the way of being like well I have progressed and you are still in the past Mm. like yeah absolutely I I feel like that's something that I I I don't want to become like elitist like you don't want to carry 
spiritual center with you. No, I'm like, no, it's not. I, I, I like to encourage other people to keep pressing into what it is, is like bringing them life and joy and freedom and what is like resonating with their heart and soul. But like so yeah. that I encourage and, I, but I try to truly be careful with me being, you know, using the verbiage uh, right. of like, I have progressed and anybody okay. else who's not on this like progression is regret. regress. I, I think that's, well, I, mean, I think that's why that's so important. What you were saying, Jay, is that like, you need to find what is zero for you. Like right. you have to define yeah. your spirituality and your existence by only who you are at your truest, like rawest self. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, there's just, um, there's this idea of dualism, right? Dualism is essentially us versus them, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, uh, it's me and then the other or my tribe and then all else. And it slips into a lot of evangelical Christianity, right? It's yeah. always those sinners and those people out there in the world that we need to go minister to and share the gospel with, right? So there's there's this sort of subtle or sometimes not so subtle sense of us and them. Mm-hmm. And the thing, Lauren, that you're saying is I don't like that. And I am completely uh, agreeing with you. I think a huge part of why empathy is so important in the reconstruction phase is to go, I am not, first of all, I'm not an island. And second of all, my journey is not everybody else's journey. So allowing permission for each human being to be on their path of growth, evolution, enlightenment, spiritual progress, whatever you want to call it, Mm. giving them space to be in their journey and, and to not lean on shame in any way for for the differences as a uh of where you are and yours and they are and theirs as opposed to just saying like man i'm so glad that we're both (laughs) on a journey right as human beings right because at our core we all want to be loved and to eat good food and to you know hear music that we enjoy like there's these things that are like so common And, you know, I get it's kind of trite to say like, oh, there's more that ties us together and separates us apart. But like, yeah, you're right. right. But it's true. Like there is so much more. And so like if I can champion you and celebrate you and and, in your progress or or be with you when you feel stuck Mm. and, and just show love and kindness and empathy right then the the sort of rising tide raises all ships so it's like you're on your journey i'm on my journey but we're both on a journey and that's the human experience so yeah. like there is no us and them there's only us yeah i'm curious and this is like just not a question directed at you specifically but just a question in general like how do you partner that freedom alongside being an ally to those that are being oppressed by people who aren't in any sort of way interested in moving past oppressive mindsets in that kind of space? That's a great question. And I think it's uh, probably one that has no simple answer. I think the, the thing that resonated with me first is I have con control or the illusion of control over a small amount of things in my life. Mm. I, I can choose kindness in my day to day life. I can 
smile more at the gas station. I can go out of my way to research uh, topics of oppression and and try to be an ally, right? For the people that I come across in my life. And, and that is the thing that I sort of have some semblance of control over. Yeah. I can't, other than building a platform and sharing that. And even then, obviously we know there's lots of people with huge platforms and often people's minds are not swayed. Um, and I don't think that is the goal, right? Like part of the reason why we, we got so frustrated with Christianity is because Christianity was trying to make constantly trying to make converts. Mm, And now that our ideals have shifted and now that our ideology has shifted, I would say we have to try to not slip back into the, well, mm-hmm. now, right, which goes back to exactly mm-hmm. what Lauren was just saying, which is like, I am, this is how I do faith now. Right. And everybody right. else should get with me. <laughs> yeah. right. And it's like, so I think the question is like a great question, but also this is a lot of just personal responsibility, being mm-hmm. a member of a community that has, that is also trying to be an ally to communities who are underserved and, and, and doing, doing the best you can with those communities and, and the resources yeah. you have and the tools you have. Yeah. And like outside of that, I don't know. Mm. I think our generation, oh, I hate that word. Uh, <laughs> we, we, grew, we grew up in an age where there was this pressure to do things on a massive scale. Yeah. Right. And I think sometimes we miss the beauty and the nuance of, of literally just being there for one person at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I think maybe technology makes us feel like things have to be so massive. Maybe everything has to be viralized. Yeah. But I, so I am, so I'm curious. I mean, of course you don't have to say, but like when you were, you know, in that therapy session, that was kind of originally my thought was when you were in the group therapy and they were like, think about the time when you were free and alive and like you had joy and all that stuff. I'm just curious, you don't have to tell me what you were doing or anything like that, but like what was around about like the age of the time that you like that came to your mind? Yeah, I can paint the the um, the picture pretty, pretty vividly. Um, and it's something that's kind of recurred at different seasons throughout my life. But uh, the first time that I can look back and really pinpoint and go, wow, I really feel like there was a, uh, a strong sense of me. Um, was I was probably it was my maybe junior year of college, and there was a group of us who were um, there was me and my two roommates, and then uh, one of my best friends and her two roommates lived in the house next door, and so we started just doing um, food together and hanging out and reading uh, the word and having conversations, and it was very not structured at all. It was just sort of a thing, yeah. and then and then we invited a few people and. Anyway, over the course of the next year, it basically turned into this situation where um, we were all sharing food together. People would bring stuff um, and some people would play songs and then I would teach a little bit, but I also would always get somebody else to like give them you know, a week ahead and go, hey, we're looking at this particular book. You should read a little bit and maybe share some of your thoughts. So. I was both teaching, but also empowering others to try new things, whether it was speaking or doing music or whatever. And so we had this thing that felt more like 
what you read about in the early New Testament church mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Breaking very commun- bread, hanging yeah, out. Yeah, breaking bread, having discussions, community. And it wasn't structured and there wasn't some big evangelistic thing. We were just I think doing all life. church should just be like toast. We should all just have like a bunch of bread. You're not supposed to break <laughs> bread. I think we should all just be eating. Just so much bread and so much food. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, seriously, I think when you share a meal with somebody, it takes your defense. You can't be mad when you've just had free home cooked food, right? It's like so it true. instantly sucks the ego out of the room, true. right? Like it doesn't matter how much money you make or what your social status is. If somebody has just given you a meal and you have a heart at all, your ego is reduced and, and the playing field is level because now we are right. full and we are just having conversations. And so there's something beyond that's why I think the way that I grew up doing communion always felt so weird to me. Cause I was mm. like, shouldn't there be like actual drinks and like actual food like shouldn't we actually be sitting down and having a meal and that's kind of what we were doing and so looking back in that moment and going like Hmm. yeah when we were doing it like the communal way and not some weird churchy way i felt so like me and you know so it's like so you had a gathering of people who yeah ended up did they come over to your house yeah uh every every sunday night we had probably by the end, 40 people, you know, showing yep. up in our little house and Love. and they would sing and it would fill the whole room. I mean, it was just like this surreal. And, and the funny thing is I've actually been able to be a part of communities like that a handful of times in my life. These, these things sort of have happened where mm. I think I have this natural thing as a community builder. And so, I mean, and it's really not like if you make food for people, they will come (laughs) yeah especially in nashville i mean anytime that i've ever done like a consistent like hey come over on tuesday night whoever shows up i'll have dinner for you um yeah who's gonna say no like no one will say no right who says no right and then they're like oh my god i like and i've had people like meet their spouses at these hangs and and business partnerships and all sorts of stuff um and it's simply just like so i feel the most like me when I am creating space for people's uh, immediate needs to be met, but also for community to be fostered. So, yeah. right, my core values, this comes back to a, a ton of what I do just even professionally, and I won't go there, but um, my core values are connection mm-hmm. and enrichment, which is being a learner and sharing that information, right? Yeah. So like every, and I, and I looked, a lot of the reasons why I even know that those are my core values is because this exercise was so impactful on me where I was going, okay, so in that moment, I was bringing people together. There was a sense of connectivity and I was enriching. I was part of the enrichment process, right? I was being poured into and I was pouring out. So for me, that's what it it, like. It all comes back to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And once I was able to identify it, then the great thing is you can start identifying things that are not that. Right. So like as soon as stuff in my life starts to be not connection driven and not enrichment driven, I can go, oh, that's a fine thing, but it's not part of the core of who I'm becoming. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. I love that. That's so cool. That reminds me of a time. So I haven't really even talked to Adam about this time, but so it's fun. I love having these conversations because obviously I Adam already said little like peaks into yeah, your life that I've never shared before. <laughs> just because things like just like bring bring memories up, and um, it reminds me of the time. So it feels like a a dream. 
because I haven't talked to anybody else about it from that time or anything like that. But when I was a freshman in college, so this is in 2010, 2011, we, so I, I gathered with a group of friends. We all went to the same church, but it wasn't like, there was no such thing as like house church or what do you call them? Small groups Small or whatever. Groups. Yeah. There, there was none Connect of that. Yeah. There was none of that at the church yet, but all of us had been going to the same church and, um, yeah. So anyway, we would gather together on a certain time, certain night of the week and we would gather and just talk and every week we would like somebody else would kind of like lead it essentially which of course it has its own issues or whatever eventually but it sure. when it was functioning and when it was running well like it was beautiful and i loved it i looked forward to it we would st- we would gather i think at like 7 p.m and stay till 1 a.m i mean it was yeah. so fun like it was truly like when you brought up the whole like the way acts was the acts started, right? Like the way the first churches yeah. started. Like that, that's what I felt too. Because like we all just asked weird, hard questions. We all like just talked about things that, I don't know. It just felt real. Like it felt very real. And I will say I, I do feel that at Grace Point, it's a little bit more like the services are like norm, like church, like Christian church services but like sure. every, all the other like the heart behind it and the theology behind it and all the other like studies and reconstruct and the things that they meet throughout the week feel that way to me and it and it's been a long time since I felt that but it just reminded me of that time and I was just so curious what like what came to your mind during that group therapy session because honestly I will say the first thing that comes to my mind is when I was I was really young, like really young, which is that, I'm not sure if that's a bad thing because because it's like very far reaching. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I mean, there's an innocence of childhood where you haven't taken on a lot of these false identities that we build up over the years. So childhood is a great place to look for a more pure version of ourselves. I think the thing that comes to my mind is Actually, when I was like, it was before puberty. And I know that because like, I didn't have any sort of like, I know I was raised Christian and I know I was raised going to church mm-hmm. and, I, and my parents were involved, but I really don't remember religion until puberty hit. Interesting. Um, and I'm, 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 a, I'm a female, you know, I identify yep. as girl. And so maybe that has a lot to do with it because I, you know, I started going through puberty. I mean, it's a personal, it's, it's, it's personal information, but I'm very open. I started like, you know, going through puberty very young. I was very, Mm -hmm. very young. And I got my period when I was 11. I ended my parents ended up throwing like a purity ceremony. That's what it's called. So, um, a lot of things, and that's a whole other conversation. However, I will say, so I don't, I don't remember religion before that. I do remember, liking church and I do remember liking Wednesday night and we all got together at the church and we all ate food together and usually was spaghetti but like I I liked that and the the memory that comes to my head is when I would sit outside and I was privileged to have like a beautiful backyard that was like full of trees and birds and natural wildlife and like 
I just loved that. And I, I will say I was quite the spiritual hippie wild like child. Um, and I, surprising. I, surprising. I would go out there and sit in my backyard and I would just like on a sunny day, I felt like the sun was like speaking to me, like it was seeping into my skin and I would listen to the birds and I felt like I would talk to the wind. And uh, truly, I mean, I know this sounds all very hippie, but like I truly had no, no example of this. Right. So like Mm -hmm. mom, dad, I never saw them doing this ever. I'm never, never. So like this wasn't something that was like modeled, modeled. Right. It was just something I did. And like, I have this memory of like, we lived by a creek and I sat by this, I sat on our little bench thing that we had in our backyard, listening to the birds, letting that sun soak in and just being like, I, I didn't have the verbiage then, but if I, if I did, it would be like, I was kind of one. I was like, I I would like seep into that bridge that I was sitting on and just like, yeah, I was at peace. And happy and like I could be happy and at peace and have joy all at the same time. <laughs> wild. <laughs> and like wild. Wild, I know. And I think about that's the first thing that pops into my head every time somebody says, Think about freedom. Think about when you were at peace. Think about when you were content. Think about when things were happy. Like, think about your happy place. That is the place I go to. And like and I- yeah, I just feel beautiful. I just feel like I'm like okay, so I'm obviously a very spiritual, very connected to nature human being, and I'm like, how do I, how do I find that again after a lot of religion, after being in the Christian music industry, after going through puberty and going through dating relationships and being married and navigating sex and like, how do I get back to this like innocence of like I am one with <laughs> nature and God and the world. And like, how how do we get back to that? Which is really like why we started Deconstruct pod, the podcast, why we started like this, even this navigating this part of life. How do I yeah. get back to that? So I have a few thoughts and uh, you've provided a really great landscape um, to, to continue the conversation. And some of it echoes back to what I was talking about early on, which is we love to make, um, as, as human beings, we love to make formulas um, out of art, right? So the thing yeah. that you're describing is, uh, to me, in my mind, I, I see it as an emotional painting, right? So you felt a certain way in that moment. You were mm-hmm. connected to nature. You were uh, uninhibited by maybe the types of, like you said, religion that would enter your life later. Right. And the thing with youth groups is, um, it's, it's easier to, to, um, have a bunch of strict rules and regulations for teenagers than it is to give them freedom to explore and express. Right. So that's why I think uh, as for those of us who grew up in some level of church culture that gets hit so hard and heavy during puberty, because, Right. It's like, don't listen to this kind of music and don't Mm. watch this and don't look at women this way and don't think about sex and right. Don't, 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 don't. Right. And so we just behavior modification, behavior modification, behavior modification, because again, we, uh, humans from the beginning of time have wanted something to worship other than mystery, right? God by their very nature is mysterious. Right. And instead, 
man wants to build a golden calf. And it's not mm. about the golden calf. It's about having something tangible that they can interact with. Mm. And do's and don'ts are a tangible that we can interact with. But God is yes. all mystery and all nuance. And, and it's the same thing with trying to get back to zero, our self, the self that you're describing. It's really easy to deconstruct that and go, okay, I'm going to sit in a field on a bench at sunset and then I'll be okay. And you're, you're trying to recreate the literal, mm. you're trying to turn a painting into an mm-hmm. equation as opposed mm-hmm. to saying like, or formula. Yeah. Or formula. For, yeah. Formula. Yeah. Not an equation, a formula. Um, as opposed to checking in with yourself and going, what did I feel in that moment? And what are things that I can look at that in my life have made me feel that way? And yeah. why did it make me feel that way? And giving yourself permission to be curious and to explore all of the stuff around it versus the actual thing. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing with what we're talking about, right? The reason that churches do small groups is because at some point, people like us had experiences like the ones we described where it was real and people were vulnerable and we shared food and it was this beautiful thing where there was honesty, right? And as opposed to taking a little bit more time and really trying to build, uh, allow space for those kinds of relationships to happen, it's Mm -hmm. easier to just go like, hey, sign up for a connect group and we'll do it on Tuesday night and we'll meet you in your neighborhood and we love you. Goodbye. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. I, and I'm not shaming. I'm, I'm not shaming that. I'm just saying that's easier. It's easier than exploring friendships until you find a group of people that you really connect with and then inviting other people and then, and then going out of your way to say, hey, this is the kind of place where I don't care what you did this week. We love you no matter what. Yeah. And, and like that takes work and it takes nuance and it's hard and you have to keep asking questions. How can I show up for you this week? How can I be there for you? How can I meet you where you are? And that's exhausting and it's tiring, but it also is incredibly rewarding, but it's a lot easier to just fit things into a program. And so when you're trying to explore and find yourself, I would challenge all of us to not try to find a program, right? Like right. it's not about meditating at 6am every day, just because we read a book by some inspirational, <laughs> you know, mindfulness teacher yeah. who's like, I got a better, it's like, cool. They, for them, getting everybody's up at 6 got their was, formula. <laughs> right. And it's like, and, and it's just our default. It's just our default to read a great biography and then go like, Oh, Steve Jobs wore the same thing every day. I'm going to wear the same thing. Every day. <laughs> no, I love you. I love you because I feel like so many times you leave you you lead with like the the analogies or metaphors that like I personally have thought about. <laughs> and I feel like you're so like, you know, I don't know if you've ever so for those of you who've been in church and you feel like, oh my God, this message is for me. I feel like so much of you are talking, the way you talk and the like metaphors you give i'm like how did you know i thought about that because of course i've thought about steve jobs hello i will wear exactly the same thing that he said he said wear the same thing i will do that so anyway i i that was an interjection sorry but i i just love what you like you give these analogies uh and and so and it's just it's just easy and that's sort of culturally you know it it honestly it comes back to a bit of the conversation that we had before we even really got into the podcast, which was we are taught almost everything that we know by recreation. 
And so there's a certain level of that that's part of the process. But as soon as you can, you have to find your own way out of that, right? So it's fine to learn Mary had a little lamb and Twinkle Twinkle had a little star, but if, or, or even up to Chopin. But if you want to be not just a music Mm -hmm. player, but a music creator, then you have to take risk and you have to use mystery and you have to ask questions and you have to give yourself permission to fail and mess up and, and get ugly. And that's so counter, right? Like we live in a world where by the time you're like 25, you're not a beginner at almost anything anymore. Right. Right. Like for the Mm -hmm. first 25 years of your life, you're constantly a beginner at something. First time riding a bike, the first time at a new school, right? Like, and every fall there's a new big change. We have all these huge changes. And then you like get out of college and you kind of settle in and you're like, there's very few things that you're just totally a beginner at. And so we lose that sense of like wonder. Oh, right. We're, that, we're like, told that we're told yeah. that they're, we're past like, cause you know, we think this whole life thing is on some linear path, I guess. So we're yeah. told that nothing's allowed to be new and we're not allowed to explore and we're not allowed to mess up because we've had 25 years. Yeah, we've had twenty. We've had twenty five years to to discover and to you know grow and like you we're all discovering this like new thing about life. And then you hit that age, whatever if it's twenty five, twenty four, whatever it doesn't matter. People like culture, society says that at this point, if you try something out and you mess up or you fail, like you're a failure. Go back to what you know, and it's and it's hard to grow almost past twenty five. <laughs> I would yeah. Say. Which is which is why I, I I am a huge advocate of learning new stuff. I mean, so many of the things that I've done in my life were totally birthed out of curiosity more than output, right? Like I I wrote mm-hmm. a book, and sure, like in my mind, there's a bit of like, oh, maybe I'll be a successful author. Like, obviously, you don't not think about that, but the majority of what it was for me was, I want to figure out how this works. I want to try it, right? And yeah. doing the podcast that I did for a while and learning music production, which I'm doing right now. Like it all comes back to this constant sense of curiosity. Yeah. Well, what, what else is there? What else could I learn? Yep. And every time that I learn a new thing, conversations like this become so much richer because I have this deeper well of things to pull from. And I have this, I have a, a different vocabulary that I can like build metaphors out of. So it's like, at the very least, you can relate to more people the more that you're a beginner at stuff. It's like, you know, the first time you sit down to play guitar, it sucks. And it sucks for the first year. Mm-hmm. Um, and and a lot of people don't get past that first stage. But if you do, it's like really beautiful. Right. But sometimes I have to like, I pick up a guitar and I try to put it in my other hand just so I can remember what it's like to fumble around. Um, because that gives you empathy for other people who are at a different place in their journey than you are, which comes back to the thing, Lauren, that you said earlier, which is, it's not about me being in this great place. I play guitar and you don't. It's like, oh yeah, I remember how hard it was to be a beginner Mm. and I love you and keep trying, right? Like all of a sudden the conversation changes to like, oh, you're so stupid. You can't do anything to man. Being a beginner is hard, but I'm so glad you're working on it. Mm. Yeah. It's just so much, so much of this, it's just, it's so beautiful. It literally all comes down to your willingness to be vulnerable. Like mm-hmm. all of it. 
whether it's creativity, whether it's spirituality, whether it's connection, whether it's like the, the, the relationships that you're fostering, like if you want to seek and find that intimacy and that innocence, it requires you to pay vulnerability. That's the cost. <laughs> That's the cost. Yeah. Mm, I love that. And, and vulnerability with yourself, right? Like mm-hmm. not just with others, but also with yourself. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh is one of my favorite authors. And uh, he, he, there's a book called You Are Here, which was incredibly important in my uh, reconstruction. Yeah. Um, who would have thought that a, a Buddhist monk would help me find Jesus? But uh, <laughs> absolutely I mean, did. I would now. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, now it makes perfect sense. But if you had told me that five years ago, I would have laughed mm-hmm. at you. But mm-hmm. he has this uh, analogy. He's talking about um, anger, right? Which for me as a nine is a thing that I don't typically deal. I, I just, I don't get angry. You're like, nope. Or I mm-hmm. don't allow myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was talking about, there being really no such thing as negative emotions. It's just that your emotions mm. are trying to tell you something. Mm-hmm. And the analogy he gives is that of, you know, if you have a baby and the baby is crying at night, you go in and you check on the baby and you pick it up and you see what it needs, right? And are you hungry or whatever the thing is? And you hold the baby close and you meet the baby's needs and then you lay the baby back to rest, Yeah. right? And, and with anger or some of these other quote unquote negative emotions that are actually just emotions. It's just our body trying to tell us something. And so we have to go in and we listen and we hold the anger and we go, Hey, I hear you. I see you. How can I meet your needs so that I can lay you back to rest and giving yourself permission to be in that tension and be in that mystery of, I don't know what I feel sometimes. I just know that I feel something. And if I dig and I sit in it and I allow myself not to stew in anger and get frustrated, but to go like, man, my body needs something. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm going to sit here with myself long enough to, to figure it out. And, and sometimes it's bigger and sometimes it's, oh, I need therapy, you know, and sometimes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's, I need to meditate. And sometimes it's, I need to go for a walk. And sometimes it's, I need to choose to let I'm holding on to something that has like Lauren, you said in the, in the very beginning, right? Like if, uh, if you hurt my feelings and I'm mad at you, that's I'm holding that anger and it's not affecting your, me being mad at you is not affecting your life at all. Mm. You're not thinking about me. I'm thinking about me and I'm thinking about you thinking about me. So like I'm projecting (laughs) that this is, but like, it's not, so a lot of times our anger and, and letting things go, it, it's way more internal. And then maybe the resolution eventually comes between the two people. And that's a beautiful thing. But like conflict resolution is so much about inner resolution. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, I totally agree. I feel like, I feel like all, all of this is just like realizing that we are not at the end of the race <laughs> ever <laughs> ever nope <laughs> and like realizing that there's so much more i mean when when we were originally like talking about you know what are we going to discuss in this podcast and like talking about when you brought up spirituality and 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 reframing that with curiosity and empathy 
that got me because I feel like a lot of people, there is time for deconstruction and people being upset and angry because they're mostly angry with themselves. You know, they're mostly angry with like allowing themselves to believe certain things or allowing themselves to be in a place of being manipulated or whatever. Or losing something that meant so much to them. True. true. Um, But then, but then hopefully there's a time of healing where you realize like you have, you can have empathy for people who are in the same place as you or not. People who have been in your past and who, you know, you, you think back on and you are healing from things that they've said or done or whatever, or people in the future, whatever. It, it doesn't matter. I feel like spirituality truly, I, I so a core belief I have is that we are all spiritual beings, but like yeah. spirituality is truly kind of dependent on curiosity and empathy. And that's why I was so excited when you brought that up, because I think that's the only way to grow and and progress in the way of like an wholeness, like W-H-O-L-E, wholeness. And like, yes. I think that is what is important. And, and I think that's what's, that's very needed when it comes to our own spiritual practice, but also living out our normal lives. People think that people who have gone through spiritual awakenings are so unnormal and they can be so normal. <laughs> people yeah. can be so you can keep you can keep your friends and you can have you can have holidays with your family. Like it's okay. Like you will be okay. There's room for empathy in your spiritual awakening or there's room for curiosity in your development in your in your faith. And I think that's something that, you know, I want to encourage and and listeners to this podcast and 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 out <laughs> and everybody else. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's just there's room for that. And that's I'm just like so I'm so glad that that's something that you are passionate about. And that's something that's why I wanted you on this podcast. That's why I wanted to have this conversation, because I feel like that's something that you kind of implement into your everyday life and it's obvious in our conversations and in the way you live your life so you know i this podcast is yeah. sometimes my baby and it's and i'm sometimes i'm more particular about who we have on here and i'm just i'm honored to have you on here because i know that's something that you really you live by well i'm it's i mean i love talking to you guys and i love talking about these things and if if anybody can walk away with a, a you know a, a, a sense of again permission to keep asking questions it's great if you're at a point where you go i know my faith is no longer this that's a beautiful place to be because now you can start asking well if it's not that then what can it be yeah mm. and um, that healing and doesn't require resolution either no because what can it be is a continuous question not what is it and what will it be forever? But what can it be? What can it be for now? What can it be in this season? What else can it be? Yeah. Who else can God be in mm. this season? And who else can I be to the people around me? Um, those kinds of questions are the questions when led with curiosity and empathy can genuinely 
change communities in the smallest and biggest of ways. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I love now, that. Now, if you all bow your heads and close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. Uh, oh, I love that. Well, thanks, Jay, for being on the podcast. I mean, we love you, and I'm sure everyone else will now super love you too <laughs> everyone who's listening and to everyone listening we love you guys and until next time bye, bye. cheers if you liked this episode please share rate and review on whatever platform you're listening as always thanks so much for listening until next time bye